Scripture is uh, in Philippians, Philippians rather, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Fruitful together is uh, the message that Jim is going to bring to us. Join with me as I read from Philippians 1, chapters 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your good works in our lives. And as we submit our hearts and minds to you, we, we know that you uh, have uh, our best in, in, uh, in mind. And Father, I pray that as uh, we um, review and, and listen to your word as it's proclaimed, may our hearts be changed and molded uh, into your image. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good morning. What a blessing it is to uh, be at Glenwood again. Appreciate this opportunity. I want to, um, I want to thank the church for uh, letting me be here, but I also uh, want to encourage you to pray for your pastors and the group that is um, in, in Bar... Where was it? Barbuda. Barbuda. Yeah. I'm the expert on world geography, and I've never heard of the place, so... I, too, want to see the pictures. I want to make sure it's for real. What a blessing it is to be part of a church that cares, cares enough about missions not only to uh, have a conference once in a while and send out some missionaries and, and, you know, pray once in a while, but to actually be involved in doing it, and that's, that's a great thing. I want to, before I get into the, the message that I, I believe the, the Lord has for us today, I think we need to... Uh, address the obvious issue uh, that is before us as a country, and I want to I want to state some things very succinctly, very clearly, and very carefully. First of all, I think we need to be confident. We are confident that God is sovereign. We believe our God is the God of the universe. Our God is the Creator of all that is. We believe God allows things to happen. We believe God does things. We believe God is sovereign. Let's not forget that. God is not surprised by us. He's not surprised by the things that happen in this world, either uh, naturally or humanly. God is sovereign. 
The second thing we need to remember is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is the master. He is the one who governs. Jesus is our Lord. He governs our hearts. He governs our church. Jesus is Lord. Thirdly, our authority is Scripture. Our authority is Scripture. Our authority is Scripture. That's really important these days. We can't depend on common sense, because it is no longer common. <laughs> we can't depend on our religious heritage. We can't depend on how things have always been. We must depend upon Scripture. It is our authority. And fourthly, our identity is love. They will know you're my disciples because you love. We will be continually accused of hate, but our identity, our true identity, is love. You and I have both been bombarded with all kinds of opinions in the last few hours and days. We struggle to make sense of things that are going on. I would submit to you that there is no redefinition. God is the God who created the home. He created man, and He created woman, and He created the family, and He has not redefined that. I also believe the Scripture where it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. But I also want you to know that religious liberty is not promised in the Bible. The freedom to worship God as we see fit is not promised in the Word of God. It's, it's promised in our Constitution, but it's not promised in the Bible. And I would submit to you that marriage is not the ultimate battleground. The Gospel is the ultimate battleground. Jesus forgives. That's what He's all about. The cross is a symbol of His great love and His forgiveness for my sin and your sin and everyone else's sin. Jesus will forgive those who come to Him in faith. The Gospel is the battleground. Our message will continue to be salvation by grace through faith, and our strength will continue to be our discipleship. As we become disciples, fully committed followers of Jesus Christ, and then we bring along with us others who will continue to grow in that discipleship, that is our strength as a, as a church, as a people of God, as, as, as the people that are called by His name, our strength will be found in our following Jesus Christ. Let's not dismay. Let's not throw up our arms in, 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 in fear. Let's not say it's over, the battle has been won, we lost, we're done. No, the, the battleground is the gospel of Christ. Our message is salvation by grace through faith, and our strength will continue to be our personal growth in our discipleship. And so, I repeat, we are confident. 
We are confident that God is sovereign, Jesus is Lord, our authority is Scripture, and our identity is love. Thank you. I had to say something. Jesus came to earth in the form of a baby, grew as a child, became a man. He was God made flesh, the Bible says, Emmanuel, God with us. He came to earth with the purpose of drawing people to himself. He came to, to earth with the purpose of redeeming us, with buying us back. God had created us, but we had sinned from, uh, away from God, and we had separated ourselves from God, and so there, there, was, there was needed a sacrifice, the shed blood of the perfect Son of God in order to redeem us, and Jesus came to fulfill that. When he finished his job here on earth, when he cried out, it is finished on the cross, he died and was buried and then rose again the third day for our justification. He met with his disciples on various occasions for a few days and then he ascended back into heaven. In those last days, between the resurrection and the ascension, he gathered his disciples together on various occasions and gave them what we know as the Great Commission. He gave that commission, that, those marching orders, to a band of followers, to a group of people, the church of Jesus Christ. The churches who received the Great Commission, this group of people who were different from each other, they, were different, they had different racial backgrounds, they had different, different political parties represented, they were different in, in different ways, they were male and female, they were young and old, these, these people received from Jesus Christ the Great Commission. What was to happen now that he was going to, to the Father? He told them that they were to wait in Jerusalem and receive the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. When he would come upon them, he would give them power, he would give them the authority, he would give them the, the, the means of telling others about Jesus Christ. But what I, what I want to emphasize is that he gave this job to a group, to a specific group. The word ecclesia, the word church, means called out assembly. People that assembled together, but they've been called out from the community. Not everyone in the community is in the church, but the church is in the community and it represents the community. And so the church is a group of Christ followers. It was his intention that this church be multiplied, be reproduced. In every area, in every city, every village, everyone should hear the good news. And as they form these assemblies of believers, they, they consecrate themselves to each other, they encourage each other, they provoke each other to righteousness, they pray for each other, they care, they love, they hug, and then they go out and spread the good news and come back. That's the work of the New Testament. The New Testament is about working together. It's a, it's a group. It's a partnership. The Apostle Paul comes along the scene, and he understands what his job is, and that is to begin the reproduction of these churches. So he goes to the church at Antioch. He teaches there for a while. He, he works with them, and then they sent him out. They sent him out not alone. They sent him with a team. 
some partners in ministry. He depended on his partnership in ministry to accomplish the purpose and the goal of the Great Commission. The church at Antioch sent him as, as a part of a three-man team. You'll notice that in, in Acts chapter 13. We'll not turn there. We're going to stay in Philippians. But there, this is where the story develops. And they send out Barnabas and Paul, Saul at the time. And, but then later it says, and John was their assistant. John, in, in a verse earlier, says John, surname Mark. John Mark, as we know him, was sent with him. So there was a three-man team, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. They had, the two main ones, Paul and Barnabas, had been teaching in Antioch for some time. and The church had recognized their spiritual gifts, their abilities, their skill set. And they said, this is who we believe God is sending out. And so they, they went. In Pamphylia, John Mark left the team. He decided to, he didn't want to do that anymore. He was young probably and probably immature and probably the, the struggles of ministry and the, the, the uncertainties of that kind of life were probably too much for him and he left the team. That departure eventually caused the first missionary team to disintegrate. And so this partnership that had been established by God and, and confirmed by the Antioch church was now disintegrated. Barnabas wanted to give John Mark a second chance. and Paul didn't want to be tied down to a man who had proven himself undependable. And so the team broke up. The Bible says that, Paul, that, that Barnabas and John Mark went to Cyprus and Paul chose another uh, ministry partner, Silas, and they continued on. I think it's noteworthy that although we have some detail in the Scripture about this failed partnership, the Bible does not record which, if any, of the partners was in the wrong. It doesn't say which one was right and wrong. We continue on and we hear all that went on with the, the, the ministry of the Apostle Paul. We don't hear much about Barnabas and John Mark until much later. One of the final passages that Paul wrote. He said, I want to see John Mark. He's profitable. He confirmed, he affirmed him. So there was a disintegration of the team. Then another, two teams were built and, and the ministry continued on. And maybe that was the plan. Maybe it was God's plan that sometimes we don't have to get along with everybody, but we need to keep serving Him. And then we know that Paul and Silas went north into what we know as Turkey today. And when they left, when they, left they had no immediate intention of going into Europe. But then something happened that changed their itinerary. We call it the Macedonian call. We even sing about it, don't we? The Macedonian call is when a man, when Paul saw in a vision, in a dream, a man from Macedonia calling, said, come and help us. And that was how God spoke to Paul and said, I want you to come here with the gospel of Christ. And so they headed on into Macedonia. Macedonia, the northernmost 
province of Greece. And in Macedonia, the first city they came to was Philippi. And so the first church established in Europe was the church at Philippi. A very interesting place. There's lots of information about Philippi. They didn't have a... a um, where the Jewish meet. Um, thank you. I had a lot of words in my head right then, and that wasn't one of them. <laughs> my hard drive got hung up. Um, must be a virus. Sorry. <laughs> Let's bring it back. There was no synagogue there. That would indicate there, weren't, there was not a great Jewish population because you had to have ten heads of families, ten men, to form a synagogue, and so probably not a lot of Jewish people there. And so they met with the ladies' Bible study, and um, that's how it started. And then Lydia got saved, and then the jailer got saved. <laughs> we know about him, don't we? And that's how the church started, the first church in Europe. And that's where something else started, a very special partnership between the Apostle Paul, his ministry team, and now this new baby church. And what we know in the scriptures of this relationship is that there was prayer on both sides. They prayed for him and he prayed for them. We read that in our, in our text this morning. I thank God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. It was a joyful thing in the Apostle Paul's heart when he would remember the church in Philippi, when he would remember the Philippian believers, and every time he thought of them, he prayed for them and he thanked them. That's a special relationship, isn't it? How many people do you pray for every time you think of them? Maybe that's something we ought to do. Instead of letting your blood boil and get all worked up, how about praying for them? How about those that you love so much? When you think of them, you worry about them, don't you? What if they're not making the right choices? What if they're not doing what's right? Maybe they're so far away. How about every time you think of them, pray for them instead of worrying about them? So every time he thought of them, he prayed for them. And we know there was financial support later in Philippians. He talks about that, how they sent to him once and again for his needs. They helped to support his ministry. He wrote the, the, the letter back to them when he was in jail in Rome. And, but he talks about the financial support. And he talked about sent, how they sent to him Epaphroditus. There was prayer and there was financial support and there was personnel. And there was shared rejoicing. And there was shared sorrow. Sounds like a really healthy relationship, doesn't it? That's what you want in a relationship. That's what you want in a partnership. That's what you want in a ministry team. You want people that pray and support and share the rejoicing and share the sorrow. Verse number five, after he says in prayer, I, I make requests for you with all joy. In five it says, 
this is what I'm rejoicing or making requests for you with all joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. From the first day, the first day he started leading people to Christ, the first believers were still in the church at Philippi, and from the very first day, they were in fellowship. They were in partnership with him in the gospel. The fellowship of the gospel. The partnership in the gospel. Three things he, he mentions that I, I want us to think about for a minute. I have you on my mind. We find that in this first six verses. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He's, they're on his mind. Every time I think of you, I thank God for every remembrance of you. I remember you, I think of you, and I care. I have you on my mind. Number two, I have you in my heart. Look at verse 7. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. You're in my heart. Whether I'm in chains here in Rome, whether I'm in jail, or whether it has to do with the great impact of the gospel all over the world, you are in my heart, and we together are partakers of grace. To be a part of this team, to be a part of this fellowship of the gospel, to be a part of the partnership of the gospel, we have to both be partakers of the grace. We have to have received the grace of God in our life. We have to have understood that we by ourselves are worthless. We have nothing good in us. But we have accepted the grace of God. And because of that, God has done a work in our lives. I am fearful for the Christians in our country today who, are, are, who have become arrogant and proud. Like the Pharisee who said, Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like the publican. Thank you that I'm not poor and desolate. Thank you that I'm not desperate. Thank you that I'm not needy. Look who I am. Lord, you are so lucky to have me on your team. Because I do it all right. I have no sin in my life. Where does that arrogance come from? Somewhere there's a lack of grace. Paul said we are together partakers of grace. We must accept the fact that God is God and we are not. And aren't you glad? I know how I think and you know how you think and I bet it's similar. If we were God, we'd save all the good people. And we'd let those rotten ones go, wouldn't we? Problem is, there is none righteous. No, not one. We aren't the good people. We are all sinners, condemned to die for our sin. 
Our sin may be less blatant than others. It may be less socially, it might be more socially acceptable. But I find in the scriptures, whenever there's a list of sin, and I saw one of those this week, because I wanted to remember what it said there in Romans. And so I looked at the list. Man, it's pretty heavy sinners in that list. None of us, until you get farther down the list, and whispering and gossiping and thinking ill of each other. And, you know, we're all sinners, and we all need the grace. And our country now more than ever needs people of grace that will love people who need the Lord and share the good news with them. The battleground is the gospel. I have you in my heart, Paul says. And then look at verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I have you on my mind, I have you in my heart, and I have you in my prayers. And the prayers that he prayed for these people were very specific. And we need to pray for the ones that we love very specifically. That you may have that you may abound in knowledge and in discernment. Knowledge is a little easier than discernment. Knowledge is, is taking information and processing it. Discernment is a spiritual thing that happens. When all that knowledge comes into play and we, dis, we allow the Spirit of God to work in us to be able to discern what's good and evil, to, to discern which way to go and how to, how to act and and how to behave, that you may approve, that, means, that word actually means discern as well, that you may discern the things that are excellent, that you may be able to see what is good and what is bad, what is great, what is excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. This speaks of integrity, folks, and I think it's important that we understand that. We need to be people of integrity. The... Uh, I love the picture that Paul paints here when he talks about sincere. It means tested by sunlight. The potters in those days, as they would finish up their, their pottery, sometimes dishonest, Dealers would find pottery and, that have defects and they would fill the cracks with, of those inferior products with wax. They'd rub it off and shine it so you couldn't tell. But it would be a defective pot. It would not be as sturdy. It would not hold. It would not perform its duty. But it could be sold. And it could be, given, it could be uh, exchanged. And they would do that to cover up the crack. The only way to avoid being defrauded would be to hold the pot up to the sunlight where they could see the wax. In Spanish, sincere is sincera. Sincera, without wax. That's what he's saying. 
We need to be believers, followers of Jesus Christ without wax. Let's not cover up the defects. Let's go back to the potter. Let him make us again. He'll make us anew. Not gonna, he's not going to cover up the cracks. He's going to fix it. It's going to be new pottery. It's going to be a new life. It's going to be a new creation. There must be integrity. I wonder how many partners it takes to get the gospel around the world. How big does this partnership have to be in order for us to fulfill the great commission of getting the gospel to the regions that are beyond us? I would submit to you today that it takes all of us. All of us need to be involved in getting the gospel around the world. Every region will be different. Every, every area will have its own set of difficulties and problems and cultural obstacles. But we must be true to the gospel of Christ and true to the Great Commission. The last part of uh, this passage in verse 11 says, Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. The fruits, the results of righteousness. There are two kinds of fruits in the life of a Christian. One we are told, the fruit of the Spirit. Those are those characteristics that God works in us. They are the results of the Spirit of God in our life. They're not, they're not things that we make up. They're not uh, characteristics that we develop on our own. It's not a class you go to to learn how to love and then another class to learn how to faith and then another class to learn how to have peace. No, this isn't, this isn't classroom stuff. This is heart stuff. This is the Spirit of God working in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. The fruit of the Spirit, the result of the Spirit of God having control of our lives, the result of the Spirit of God having control of my heart is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the presence and the working of God in the lives of believers as we submit ourselves to Him. But there's also the fruit of our ministry, the reproduction of Christianity, the birthing of new believers. Remember uh, Proverbs 11.30, He that wins souls is wise. There's, there's something about getting the gospel out on a personal level where we share the good news with someone who needs to hear it and they respond in faith and accept the gift of eternal life. And we have won a soul. We have, we have led someone to Christ. We have witnessed for Him. The fruit of the ministry is evangelization, sharing the good news. Our members are, are on, an, on a... On a Caribbean island or on a boat between islands right now and they're taking the good news to people who need to hear it. Some children will be won to Christ because of the Awana project they're working on and, and, and these children will take the gospel to their parents and, and there will be people impacted with the gospel of Christ because someone is willing to share the good news. That's the fruit of the ministry. I want you to know today that as a, both kinds of fruit are necessary personally, individually, and corporately. All of us individually have to have the fruit of the Spirit. If we are not exhibiting to our world, to our context, to our home, to our business, where we live, if we are not showing them what the fruit of the Spirit is, we are failing the call of God on our lives. We must show 
love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, temperance. We've got to show them the, the, what, what God is doing in our life. It's the fruit, it's the result of righteousness. But it's not enough to show them that. We've got to share with them the good news. And so both are necessary individually and both are necessary corporately. Together as a church, we've got to do this. We can't do Christianity alone. It's not something that can be done all by ourselves. Obeying the Great Commission is done in partnership. We need the Spirit of God. Jesus Himself told the disciples, You have seen Me crucified, you have seen Me rise from the dead, but that's not enough. You've got to have the power of the Spirit of God on your life, so you wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit of God comes. And then throughout the New Testament, we are taught how that works today, that the Spirit of God actually comes into the life of the believer at the moment he's born again, at the moment of his salvation. And now we have the Spirit of God in us, but we must depend upon him in order to fulfill the Great Commission because we can't do it by ourselves. We've got to have him guiding us and leading us and giving us his power. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. We've got to have the Lord reigning in our lives, working in our lives. We can't do this by ourselves. There is a partnership in the gospel, and the Spirit of God is our partner. We need each other. We need one another. We can't do this by ourselves. We can't carry the load by ourselves. Every one of us is important. The Bible tells us over and over again with different kinds of illustrations that we need each other. Christianity is a group thing. It's, it's, it's something that we do together. It's very individual. It's very personal. Everybody is a child of God because he's been born into the family of God. But to grow and to develop, we need the family to help us. We need to get together every, every week. We need to hang out together. We need to praise God together. We need to do work together. We need each other in the form of a church. We need each other in the form of missionaries. We've got to have people that are willing to go from our congregation and take the good news to other places. And then we need to love them and send them and, and, and provide for them. We've got to see... Nikki and that guy she married a couple weeks ago and such a sweet family and first time to see Amelia, thank you. I remember my grandkids' names some of the time, okay? <laughs> I can't remember everybody's kids. Um, I do remember Desmond. He's anyway, um, what a beautiful family. That is didn't just happen. It's because a church functioned as a church. And they said, yes, Lord, we will send our best. We will do what you tell us to do. Together we can do the work of the ministry. We need each other. Church needs missionaries. You need other partners around the world in different parts of the world to do the work of the ministry so that you can fulfill the Great Commission. And those missionaries need you. They need your faithfulness, they need your giving, they need your prayers. It's not a once-a-year thing, it's not every once in a while, it's every day and every week we give and we pray so that they can continue doing it. it we need a partnership for this to work. Missionaries need this church. 
We live in a world of 7 billion people. Most of them have not heard a clear presentation of the gospel of Christ. 6,000 people groups with less than 2% Christ followers. If you're looking for an easy job with minimal labor and great benefits and absolute security, you probably ought to keep looking because that's not what missions is. Taking the gospel where it has not yet made an impact is a dangerous job. We have to go to places where Satan has absolute control. We have to break down barriers and overcome obstacles, and sometimes we need to keep our mouths shut when it comes to our own preferences and our own political views and our own cultural attitudes, because our job is bigger than all of that. Our job is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But for those who are willing to go, although it's not a picnic, it is a great great experience to see how God can use people like us, normal people, in sharing the good news with others who desperately need to hear it. We do need each other. The reason Glenwood exists is not only to make an impact on this area of Kansas City. We must be strengthened and we must grow because our task reaches beyond our horizons. Our task is the whole world. Is this a possible mission? Of course it is. It's absolutely possible. Working together, we can give and we can pray and we can send and we can go and we can do this together and this partnership will flourish and together we will be fruitful, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. You'll find a recurring theme in all the New Testament, in all the Bible. The ultimate glory of God is the goal. And so let's do this together. Let's keep each other on our minds, keep each other on our hearts, keep each other in our prayers as a church. Your relationship with your missionaries, the relationship of your missionaries with you, let's maintain that relationship We've got to do this job. We've got to do it right. We can be fruitful, but we can only be fruitful if we do it together. I thank God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with joy for your fellowship in the gospel, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me as we pray, please? As we bow before the Lord, as we finish this, I want you to search your own heart for just a second. We're, we'll not do a full invitation, but we do, I do want you to consider what God has for you. Would you look into your heart? As a believer and as a church, we should bear the fruit of the Spirit. And we should multiply believers. As a church, we reproduce churches. Here in New England, Germany, Philippines, and Mexico, and Ecuador. We, we do it all over the world. That's the partnership. Where are you on that team? What are you doing? Would you ask the Lord to make you a vital part of that operation? Maybe the Lord has spoken to your heart this morning about a 
specific area that you should be involved in. It might be giving. Maybe you haven't been giving like you know God wants you to. Maybe it's praying. You know how to pray. You pray for some people. You pray for some things. But are you praying for this partnership in the gospel? Are you praying for fruit that would abound as a result of God working in our lives and the lives of those we've sent? Wherever it is that God is touching your heart, would you respond to that and just say, yes, Lord, I'll obey you. Starting today, I will obey you. I want to be a part of that team. I want to be a part of that fellowship of the gospel, that partnership of the good news. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We pray this morning that your will would be accomplished in our lives. We, we admit and we, we acknowledge our own weakness. We acknowledge that we of all people are the most needy. We need you. We cannot do what you have us to do by ourselves. We need your power. We need your presence. We need your guidance. We need your protection. We need your provision. We need you, Father. We lift you up. We exalt your name this morning in our worship. And now we exalt you and ask you and beg you to work in our lives. Do in us what only you can do. And when it's done, may you get the glory. May you get the praise. Thank you for this great group of people and for your work in their lives over the years. And I pray now your blessing today that we will be an obedient and faithful part of the team. Father, I pray you make us fruitful together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.